Hey everybody, welcome to 20Q, 20 Questions with Interesting People, where we learn the origin stories of everyday superheroes in the LGBT community and friends. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time our guest is writer, public speaker, facilitator, consultant, advocate, and commentator, Christian De La Huerta. Christian's most recent book, Awakening the Soul of Power, was released in October 2020 and is the first installment of Calling All Heroes, a three-part series. The book received early high-profile endorsements from singer Gloria Estefan, theologian Matthew Fox, and civil rights activist David Mixner. Hi, Christian. Hey, very handsome Timmy. Thanks for having me on, the, on your show. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm going to start with our first question, as always. A bit about your background. Where are you originally from and what was it like? Huh. I was born in Cuba and lived there under a communist regime for the first 10 years of my life. And I'm actually really grateful for the experience for a couple of reasons. You know, we had a TV, but there was no programming really worth watching. Uh, so I grew up reading, so developed a, a lifelong love affair with books. And we also had to invent and create our own games, um, for which I'm also really grateful. Um, and then, you know, it's like so many things that we take for granted here in the U.S. and in, and in developed countries, like chewing gum, right? Like what's chewing gum to us? We just put it in our, in our mouth, spit it out, don't even think about it. And we had it good compared to most people because my parents had friends who worked in foreign embassies. Like a few times a year, we'd get a pack of chiclets. Remember the chiclets? Oh, Yes. And so we'd split it between the kids. You know, I'm one of a large family of kids. I'm one of nine kids. And we'd chew it all day. And then at the end of the day, we'd get a glass of water with just a little bit of water, put some toothpaste in it, and stick our gum in there so that it'd be minted the next day. And then hide it so my mom wouldn't throw it out. Really? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I had a friend who was a former boss a long time ago who was originally from Cuba. And he was telling me about his uncle who had one of those cars that just stays in cherry condition because they have to maintain them. And uh, to build a carburetor, he had to find a block of steel and carve out a carburetor because there were no parts available. And he yes. had to, ingenuity is something else, you know, it's, it's a, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? That is right. That, that is so true. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a great way to start is telling your story. Uh, so my next question is, uh, what life experience had the greatest impact on you? Hmm. Well, God, so many, but I'd, I'd have to say leaving Cuba for one, you know, and just coming to the U.S. was my life could have gone in so many other different directions. Um, I would also say... First time I fell in love, you know, I was, I'd had a lot of sex as a teenager, but it was always this deep, dark secret. Uh, so I'd do my thing and then feel guilty for, for a couple of weeks. I grew up in a very Catholic environment. Um, and I'll never forget the first, my first time I kissed my first lover, because in that moment, I, it was the first time that I had really experienced 
love and sex together. And it was such a powerful combination that after that, there wasn't a, a, a priest or a minister or a rabbi or a psychiatrist or anybody that could tell me that it was wrong or that it was sinful or that it was a sickness. It was just so beautiful that it just made all the difference. That's very sweet. Uh, uh, I wasn't that fortunate. I was much more lust-driven when I was younger. <laughs> uh, what would you say to anyone interested in an aspect of your experience? Meaning, if someone wanted to explore an idea or perspective opportunity based on what you can tell them, what would be the main thing to encourage or discourage them? Hmm. Well, I would say read this book. Um, and, and read the earlier book, too, right? Coming Out Spiritually, which has a particular message for the LGBTQ community. Um, this one has a more universal message, it's, and it's about personal empowerment and why so many of us have an ambivalent relationship to power. We, we, we struggle with that. We want it, but we're afraid of it. Uh, we've been so conditioned to think that power is a negative thing, you know, with phrases like power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So combine that with the fact, and what they didn't tell us, by the way, about that is that that phrase specifically was talking about political power, not interpersonal power. Um, so put all that into a mix, combined with the fact that we have been conditioned to be afraid of the emotions and label them weakness. And so we hate confrontation, we avoid conflict. And so what happens when you put all of that together is we, we end up giving away our power. We end up selling out on our power for the illusion of security, for um, morsels of, of pseudo love and, and for a false sense of um, acceptance. You know, it's funny, too. Uh, I've, I've always felt that uh, many people who I, I met along the way, not all, but many people uh, being part of the gay community for as long as I have, is that uh, initially when people come out and it may last for some time and it may last forever is um, they tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to their own um, personal uh, moral convictions. And it doesn't mean you can just be nihilistic and self-indulgent and not care about anybody else. It just means you're not beholden to uh, very restrictive uh, concepts that, that, that are making you feel less self-worth. And uh, I think a lot of people don't explore that. And I think maybe that's tied to power. Yeah, I think that's a really profound um, observation, uh, Tim. I think that the upside of it, the, the gift of it, is that because so many of us grow up as outsiders, feeling like we're different, feeling like we don't belong, and, and less and less now, um, but still, uh, so, so the downside of that is that we feel different. We feel like there's something wrong with us. We personalize it. We internalize it. The gift of it is that because we're, we stand outside of the rules, outside of the system, we get to decide what the rules are. Right? We get to decide what's right and what's wrong for us. And it takes work. Like, because what you're saying is like throw many, so many of us do throw out the baby with the baptismal water. Um, if you would, um, and 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 then throw out any sense of, of of ethics or morality along with that, where whereas what you're pointing to is that there are ways of deciding what's right and what's right, and what's wrong, and what's moral for each one of us, that doesn't depend 
on teachings that were written and mistranslated and retranslated 2,000 years ago and taken out of their cultural and historical context. I think that's, uh, that's quite true. Um, uh, I've done previous podcasts, several of them, and I've interviewed just some people who have uh, had um, uh, terrible substance abuse issues. And uh, part of w also that, that structure of integrity of moral character, uh, what happens uh, in the gay community is almost threefold, possibly even more than threefold in terms of substance abuse compared to the straight community. Whereas the uh, straight community has about 10 to 15 percent uh, of people with uh, serious substance abuse issues, the gay community tends to have 25 to 35 uh, percent substance abuse issues. Uh, gay men, believe it or not, are 10 times more likely than straight men to try heroin and 12 times more likely than straight men to use amphetamine, specifically methamphetamine. And this, this comes from some 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 citations that I made uh, in, in a few uh, uh, research uh, pieces that I did. And I think it's because of self-value and self-worth because there's no structure there. You're not, you're not thinking of what it means and what you can do and how you can contribute to your own well-being as well as other people's and what, how that feedback positively impacts you. And I think we have a lot of work to do in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it really is tragic. And um, I'm happy. I'm glad, not happy, but I'm glad to hear the, the more updated numbers that you've just provided. I mean, when I wrote when I wrote Coming Out Spiritually 20 years ago, that was one of the things that drove that book. You know, it's just the, the rate of the rate of suicide, the rate of addiction in our community, which I totally agree with you comes from from like the lack of self-worth, the, the self-hatred, the, the self-denial. And, and, and what's tragic about that is that many people confuse spirituality and religion. So we threw out the whole thing with the bath with what bathwater. And that is just as ludicrous and tragic as trying to get rid or deny, get rid of or deny our sexuality, right? These are just parts of being human, whether it's sexuality or spirituality, um, just part of who we are. Um, and so because we confuse religion with spirituality, and no wonder, given the treatment that we have received, and by many religions, and I would say most, they're getting better at that too, and they're opening up to some degree. But so because of, of that treatment, we, we deny intrinsic parts of who we are. And, and what the theme of that book was is that the tragedy of that is that before patriarchal times, before patriarchal cultures, people that we today call LGBT or Q or whatever, were not only spiritually inclined, but were actually honored um, and revered for the roles of spiritual service and spiritual um, leadership that we provided all over the world. Yes, I actually, I, another part I did was, uh, 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 surprisingly, I did not know this until I re researched on this, uh, you know, the, uh, the term uh, homosexual wasn't, wasn't coined until the late 19th century. And uh, the application of the concept of homosexuality in Western culture uh, is largely stolen and been appropriated I'll say appropriated, uh, uh, from uh, a lot of it had to do with Native American culture, the, the two-spirit culture. And that was part of the rise of not only uh, the end of the Victorian era, era but also the, uh, 
uh, the, uh, the fin de siècle, the end of the, the cycle, the end of the century, and an embrace of new. So that also got mixed in with tarot and seances and mediums, and it got jumbled in with a lot of stuff, and people had to do a little separation. But there has been some scholarly work on the subject, and uh, we were embraced originally uh, uh, as part of a new uh, way of looking and understanding of others. And somehow it, it became um, muddled and, uh, uh, you know, somebody had taken season the opportunity to separate and just make the distinction that they are the other that we have to save you from. But, uh, yes, that's that's part of that's that's part of uh, uh, a lot of the spirituality that rose from the end of the uh, 19th century is, is the awareness of what we call the two spirit in uh, the Native American culture and uh, how that has applied to uh, the awakening of, the, uh, of, of uh, a gay identity. So that's, uh, I think that's also very uh, uh, reflective and accurate from what you're saying. So yes. after this, um, what would you say is your most noteworthy achievement? <laughs> Um, that's a really good question. Um, I would, I would have to say the, I've been doing this kind of work like personal transformation, coaching and spiritual, you know, leading spiritual retreats for the last 30 years, a long time. Um, and so if I were checking out of the planet today, if I got a, another assignment on another planet, <laughs> I think what I would be most proud of is a my own personal transformation and and, and you know the the all the stuff that I've overcome. Like my adolescence was one long depression with with suicidal fantasies, um, and these days, no matter the circumstances of of my life, a relationship work out works out or it doesn't, a project succeeds or it fails. In quotes, I never question my self worth, um, and and. And then so that transformation is what I've been able to share with so many people and help so many people over the last few decades get free and overcome their own um, personal obstacles um, to, to self-love and to self-acceptance and to, to having the kind of life and the kind of relationships that they long for. Well, that kind of ties into the next question because I think this probably does fit, fit with it. Um, the biggest personal challenge you have faced uh, now, as a motivating factor or, or uh, some other component, a personal injury, a seemingly overwhelming task, a personal or professional goal, a difficult situation you had to overcome? <laughs> here's, I mean, so many, but here's, here's one example that, that's very relatable, too. Um, I always had a sense of mission. Um, I always knew that I had work to do. Um, you know, which showed up in different ways at different points in my life. At, at the time when I was in high school, I went to a very Catholic high school, and I thought I was going to be a priest. Uh, so obviously realized that there wasn't room for me in that religion. Um, but I was so painfully shy. I was, I was okay one-on-one, -on -one, but if you, if you added a third human, I clammed up. To the degree, Tim, that I had a 4.0 in high school, except for 1B my last uh, semester. And I didn't do this intentionally, consciously, but I know from current perspective mm -hmm. that I sabotaged that 
so that I wouldn't have to get up in front of an auditorium with hundreds of people and give a, a valedictorian speech. There is just no way that I would have been ready to do that then. Um, and so the fact that I'm now a public speaker, the fact that I speak all over the world, the fact that I'm a TEDx speaker and speak to thousands of people is also a great um, evidence to, to the teachings that I, that I share in this book and, and the way that I can guide people to overcome their own fears and their own ways, their own, you know, to get free from, from their own self-imposed prisons of, of the mind. So this also fits, I think, really great. Uh, based on that, what would you say was the transformational moment in your life? A meaningful gift, a reason to belong to something, being a parent, good job, bad job? an experience that helped catalyst, uh, kickstart your change? Yeah, man, you, may have, you ask really good questions. <laughs> um, I would have to point, the one that pops into mind now is the first time that I did breath work um, over 30 years ago. And I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology. My, my dad was a psychiatrist, so I come out of the psychotherapy tradition. Um, and when I discovered breath work, which is a type of breathing modality that comes out of the yoga tradition, and you breathe in a certain way for about an hour, an hour and a half, that experience was so powerful that I, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD. Um, because it heals so profoundly in so many ways, at so many levels, I don't know anything more effective in terms of healing past trauma. And I'm talking about, I work with people who have severe trauma, you know, to rape and sexual abuse and violent um, crimes. And this simple breathing practice heals that stuff. And it, and it heals emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even physically, on top of, of, on top of providing for people some amazing, ecstatic, experiences of bliss and oneness and connectedness and and i know this sounds too good to be true to my logical scientific skeptical mind it still sounds too good to be true even 30 years into it but you know tim i can't argue with results it works I, it fast i can't disagree i've done a lot of reading on uh, buddhism and uh, breathing principles and how to clear your mind and breathe and uh it doesn't do anything uh, less than, than give you a sense of uh, tranquility. Uh, so as if you start from there, you're doing a lot better than you were in, in a little turbulence in your life. So I, I, I have to absolutely agree. Um, so uh, because you have transformed your life and you've done so much, uh, what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? It's it's that same sense, sense of mission that that I was just talking about. Um, and, and to paraphrase, this is how I think of it, to paraphrase Einstein, you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness in which it was created. Yes. So when I look at the world and, and all the challenges that we face that sometimes feel overwhelming, like what am I going to do about you know, terrorism. What am, what am I going to do about the environmental crisis? So sometimes it feels like there is so much that I think, you know what, I'm just going to go to the beach and have a lot of sex and eat a lot of dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I reel myself back and I say, okay, okay, chill out, chill out, dude. What can I do personally? 
And, and then I think, all right, what can I do? I can continue to help myself con heal and wake up, and I can help as many people to do the same. So when I think about the situation that we find ourselves in as, as a species, that, and, and how, do we, how are we going to dig ourselves out of this hole that we have collectively dug ourselves into, I go back to Einstein and I say, it's, it's got to be a leap in consciousness. It's got to We have to think outside of the box. We, to me, it's like a spiritual revolution that's going to shift the way that we think about ourselves and how we relate to each other and how we relate to the earth and to the cosmos. To me, that's a spiritual revolution, a revolution in thinking. So my job, as I say that, what drives me, what gets me up in the morning um, is how can I support that process? Very good. Now, because of that answer, <laughs> what is the first thing you want to come to people's minds when they think of you? Hmm. You know, I, I think to, I mean, to, I guess to, to, the, to paraphrase the, what you were asking me earlier, it's like, what is my greatest gift? Like, if I were going to think legacy, um, I would think my capacity to love and the depth of my surrender. Uh, could you explain that? Yeah. Um, you know, we have a, we have a, a confusing relationship to, to surrender from the spiritual perspective. Um, because to us, it feels like we're giving power away. We're like giving up. We are um, throwing in the white towel. Um, whereas my experience of it, the way that I hold it and understand it, it's the opposite. It's a very empowering experience, which connects to part of the, you know, one of the themes in this book um, about personal empowerment is understanding what the ego mind is. Um, and, and where identity is. So the ego, for most of us, it means, you know, we think arrogance. We think inflated sense of self, and it is that, but it's so much more than that. And then if we took Psych 101 in college, we might think, you know, Freud's model of personality, the id, the ego, the superego. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. There's things that apply. But the way that, I, that I, I'm talking about the ego comes out of Eastern teachings. And it's, it's a sense of personal identity. It's a part of us, a part of the psyche that weaves in sensory information it can it can reach into the past it can project into the future and somehow weaves all of that into a coherent sense of self like a sense of individual personality this is christian you're 10 right so it's it's both a leap in consciousness as far as we know we're the only species that has a sense of self um, there's some theories about the, the higher primates and the dolphins and the whales and the elephants um, but we don't really know like, we don't really know. Like, there's there's a difference. For example, when you put a dog or a cat in front of a mirror, you know, we've seen the YouTube videos. They interact with that image as if it was another dog or a cat. If you put, you know, they've, they've studied, they've done studies where you put a, a higher primate, a chimp or gorilla, in front of a, a a mirror and you put ash on their shoulder. At some point, they'll wipe it off. So something else is going on. Like they know that's not them. That that's not a different creature, but how whether we can leap from there to a sense of self, hmm, I don't think we can do that. So leap in consciousness and the source of all our suffering and all our problems, because 
in human evolution, we haven't always had a sense of self, according to the experts who write about this stuff. So when we develop that, that sense of individual identity, what happened? You know, now we have a split in consciousness. Now we feel separate from all of creation. Now we can have abandonment issues like so many of us do. Now we can have a sense of our own mortality. So there's definitely a price to pay for having a sense of individual identity. Here's a great metaphor. What the ego is, if you think of a baseball in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. And we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are. And to make really significant, important, critical, and consequential choices about our lives from its very small and always fear-based perspective. So on this journey of personal empowerment, it's critical that we understand how that part of us works so that we no longer allow ourselves to give our power away to that and to play small. Well, I cannot disagree with that either. I think that that's probably one of the biggest motivators for most people is reacting to fear. And uh, it's uh, something that people just turn their heads and close their eyes and shudder and don't even want to contemplate. And uh, most fear is something that if you stand up to it, it just withers and disintegrates in front of you. Uh, and we tend to make a mountain out of a molehill, and people fashion most of their conscious lives uh, to avoid things that cause them to fear or whatever analog of fear there is. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tragic, but it's also how people, unfortunately, how a lot of people learn. Uh, so I, I see by uh, the statue of the, the head, the bus behind you, my next question should be, uh, a good follow-up to that is, uh, what is your Zen? <laughs> we should say we, that I have a Buddha behind me. Um, hmm. You know, what makes me, the way that I, would, what, that I would understand is what makes me pop out of that self-reflective consciousness, right? What, what makes me pop out of the thinking mind, which is the ego mind. Um, and what pops me into just beingness? Um, I think you know several things do. I can, I can when I, I can do, use conscious breathing practices to do that, or conscious mindfulness, or meditation, or um, breathing practices to help me pop out of that and just pop into that Zen place of of being and, and pure awareness. The other thing that 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 does that is lovemaking. You know, before I knew practices like meditation, like breathwork, um, before I knew about any of this, and before I knew about the ego, the only time that I popped out of my mind and that I popped into just beingness was in, was in the midst of love, lovemaking. That's when I was able to really connect with somebody else in, in, in the deepest way and, and those barriers that keep us separate most of the time just fell away. That's, a, that's a, quite an observation, I must say. <laughs> um, the next question is going to be a bit of a departure, and it's something that I've gotten very wide variety of responses for. It's the, it's the last of my 10 questions, and it is this. It is uh, the threshold. And the threshold is the point in your life where you know there is no turning back. 
the wall has not only been uh, built up behind you, it's been painted over. You can't even tell there was, there was, ever, uh, you, there was ever anything you came through anymore. Uh, you cannot possibly go back. Uh, there's a point to it. I think just about everybody knows that. Uh, how did you know when you arrived there? How did it feel to cross it? What was the significance to you? And what did you leave behind? What are you glad you left behind? And what do you regret leaving behind? Tough question, uh, I know. Tough. I mean, you ask amazing questions that we could talk about for hours, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think one was the first one that I talked about when I fell in love. Um, and when I just decided that I, that I was no longer going to hide. Um, so that was like the first point of integrating myself, right, of, of reclaiming um, different parts of my rejected humanity. The second one was, was 10 years later when, when I first experienced breathwork and that experience and understood what the ego mind was. And I had, um, had a pretty enviable life at those points. I had a cushy job. I had a condo on the water, um, on the bay, down here in Miami, uh, Miami Beach at the time where I was living. I had a you know, beautiful lover, had the Armani suit, sought after socially, sought after professionally. And it seemed to be me that the more that I had, the more that there was something missing. Uh, because I, was, I discovered eventually that I had rejected this whole other part of, of being human, my, my spiritual nature, um, which I tried to ignore you know, for, for a good 10 years. Uh, as I focused on my personal life and redefining myself post coming out um, and develop and developing myself professionally and all that. So once I had that experience and, and that expanding hole in my gut began to fill, like then I started learning about you know, traditions of the East, um, about these transformal, transformative psychology, psycho-spiritual concepts within nine months of that first experience of, of breathwork, I quit my job, sold my condo, uh, broke up with a boyfriend, um, sold my car, gave away most of my, my belongings except for my books and my Armani suits. So <laughs> that tells you a little bit about my attachments. Uh, and I went off on a spiritual journey. Never. That was the last time I ever worked for, for anybody else, uh, for a corporation. Um, never looked back. And no regrets, like no regrets. It's like, oh my God, that was like the, probably the most, the biggest turning point in my life. And, and because of that, it's who I am today. Uh, and the sense of, of freedom and um, personal empowerment and self-acceptance and self-love and sense of purpose, uh, sense of meaning. It's like, I wouldn't trade that for anything. What I left behind, you know, there were a couple, most of the relationships that mattered um, came along with me, even though in, in the beginning it was difficult because they, you know, people thought I was joining a cult. People thought that um, that I was crazy to give up everything that you know that everything that I was given up. People didn't understand. There were a couple of relationships that didn't didn't make it. You know, most of them are most of the most of the ones that counted are here, but there were a few that just didn't transition with me. I can understand that. I had a very, very similar experience in my life. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the people in my life who uh, my transformation to 
to open it up into becoming who I am. And it never mattered to them in the first place. And uh, they were with me the entire time. So uh, uh, other people, uh, if it's conditional and it's, you know, the conditions that they, they are imposing aren't really worth it, then, you know, you're, you're just going to, I think, more or less drift apart from each other. And then you, you'll realize that, that you, it's not really a, a valid relationship any longer. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, so we've come to the end of my 10 questions. Uh, did you uh, select 10 questions for yourself or did you, would you like to go through the list? Um, you know, I've kind of woven some of them in um, in terms of, of talking about the book, understanding what their ego mind is. I think that's what would, when I think about what would most serve your audience, those would be the type of questions that I would go for. Okay, well, let's see. Um, now, you know, I have a question that, that I think people like to answer questions. And I have questions, everything from what's your favorite weather to what's your favorite color, because everybody needs a softball here and there. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, what is your first goal when interacting with strangers? Hmm. Well, it depends on who the stranger is, right? <laughs> um, but I would say, fun. I was kind of kidding there. Um, but obviously, if it was somebody that I was that I was really interested in phys physically, um, that and with whom I had chemistry, then I might have a different intention. But half kidding there. Um, I would say my main intention when, when I meet anybody, um, and, and eventually once I got past the, the, the physical chemistry and, and the biochemical attraction, I think I would ultimately land here anyway because I wouldn't consider being in relationship with anybody if I didn't really know their essence, right? So that's what I want to know when I meet somebody. It's like, who are you really? It's like, not so much interested in what you do and what your sign is, though, though we'll, of course we'll talk about that. Um, but I want to. I want to know the essence. I want to know what what turns people on spiritually, right? Like, what gets them excited about life? Um, I want to. I want to know, you know who they are in, in their most real, deepest, most authentic self. Okay. Now uh, there is. Oh, here's a question that, uh, how do you know when you have connected with somebody? No, oh, I think you feel that. You think you just feel so? I think you feel it. Yeah, I think we all feel that. Um, and, and, and it's hard to speak about it. You know, if we are energetic beings. You know, we, we tend to think of the body as solid, but we know from physics that it's not. We know we, know we are literally energetic beings. Um, and so I think the more that we become fine-tuned to what that means, the more that we feel and can connect with and respond to each other's energy. In the beginning, you know, before we have the languaging for that, I just, we just get a gut feeling, right? I like this person, I don't. I can trust this person, I don't really feel there's something, this one that, you know, creeps me out or whatever. The, the more aware that we become of ourselves as energy be beings, the more that we can tune in to what those connections are, 
And even where is it a heart connection? Is it something else? Is it more of a genital connection, genital, you know, energetic center connection? Um, so maybe that was maybe that was too much for that question. That's okay. <laughs> uh, and this is a, this is an adult uh, podcast. Um, so uh, uh, considering you, you know everything is so uh, you know you have such a tremendous deep. Uh, connection and background to spirituality and you have uh, an embrace of a lot of eastern uh, thoughts tell me about your nadir what, what do you mean by nadir by i know you mean the lowest point but what is yes what was the, what was the what, what, what was you what do you personally consider your lowest point in life yeah hmm man you are making me think this morning my lowest point Well, I think, you know, I, I guess I have to go back to my adolescence and, and just the, the, my inability to, to deal with my sexuality because it was all being filtered through this religion in which I was trying to, to live and which had no space for me at the time. You know, religion, here, here part of me wanted to serve the sacred as I understood it then. Um, and the religion was telling me that I was going to burn to hell for eternity, um, that I was anathema in the eyes of God. And, and I remember when I was young, because I knew very young that I was gay. Um, and I remember asking a priest one time, well, how long is it? How long is eternity exactly? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and being on an island, you know, he used to, an appropriate metaphor. He goes, well, imagine you're going to go to, imagine you go to the beach and you have a thimble with you and you start taking water out of the ocean with a thimble. Um, that's eternity, which of course terrified me. <laughs> uh, because to put things in context, masturbation is still considered a mortal sin in Catholicism. I mean, most priests don't, don't hold people to that and don't guilt people over the head with that. But technically, it's still a mortal sin, which means that if you die having committed a mortal sin and you haven't received confession from a priest in Catholicism, you can't do it directly. But it has to be you have to receive absolution from a priest. So if if you if you ha you know if that hasn't happened, you go to hell for eternity. So that was masturbation. Not to worry, not to not to mention the unmentionable uh, quote unquote sin that I was worried about. That's interesting. Um, I had a uh, Catholic uh, background, and I went to a Catholic all-boys high school, and it was run by uh, an, an order uh, that uh, seems um, uh, somewhat disconnected, but I found out that uh, a number of them are a lot more human. <laughs> yeah. which, than, order did you, which order was it? Uh, the Marianists, Society of Mary. Uh, they run a number of schools in, uh, in New York. Uh, they even have one in Hawaii, and there was one. There was one in Santa Cruz, California, which I think they sold, and it's now a conference center. But I think there's also one in Dayton, Ohio. Um, they, I think, are individuals, uh, but uh, you know, it was priests and brothers, and 
uh, I had uh, my own issues uh, with uh, sexual assault, and of course, I was mistaken, and I was lying. And I, uh, and uh, they're very nice people. They come from lovely families, and uh, I'm using this as an excuse for not being a better student. And I remember the uh, the uh, the volatile uh, change, uh, the eruptive uh, volatile change in disposition. When I attempted to approach the subject, it went from very calm and reflective and spiritual to just Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 how it, it it was so difficult for me. So I was battered down, and I uh, I couldn't even uh, address the issues, and there was nobody in my life who wanted to or was it was receptive to uh, my struggle. So I kept that internalized for quite some time. I'm so sorry and, you remember that, Tim. How how old were you? Fourteen. Fourteen. And it was repeated. And it was uh, it, it was gang sexual assault. And I knew the leader of the pack, and I knew him already, which was a, a, a strange thing. And it was uh, uh, it was I happened to be walking down um, hallway after school, staying after school because that's what you were encouraged to do. And uh, I was yanked into my own homeroom and surrounded by five boys. And this is not the first time. It happened. That was the first time, but it happened on a number of occasions afterwards. So um, everything I said was absolutely an outrageous accusation and a lie. And uh, I couldn't have been uh, correct. And, uh, you know, there was just a number of... Um, uh, changes in, in response, that, but none of them were accommodating or understanding or accepting or believing me. So uh, I felt isolated, and uh, I, it took me quite some time. And I, you know, I did did my own um, uh, I, therapeutic uh, care and uh, some you know some research on my own, and I came to a number of conclusions. And of course. Um, Growing up, uh, I live in Chelsea. I live in Chelsea, New York. I've been here for quite some time. There's been a gay bar next door to us, on and off for years. And uh, right down the block is uh, uh, was uh, a St. Vincent de Paul Church, which has since closed because it uh, was mostly um, uh, giving uh, holding mass for people who spoke French. And uh, the majority of the people who come there were, were Haitian. And uh, there wasn't a large enough of a community to sustain the church. But while the church was going down, uh, the happy hour at the bar next door was full of priests. So you'd sit there and you walk in and you go, there's three to five priests in the happy hour. So obviously, um, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, yeah, I, I totally empathize with you and my heart goes out to you. I went to an all-boy Jesuit high school. Um, uh, renegade Catholics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't, I can relate to your have your experience of having been sexually abused. In my case, it wasn't a priest. It was, you know, somebody else, a, a relative. Um, but, but connecting to the response that you had um, from the priests, it's, that's the reason that that explains the, you know, the sex scandals, uh, because sexual energy, just like any other kind of energy cannot be destroyed. Can, so we suppress it over here. We try to stuff it, and hide it, then it pops up over there, mostly inappropriately. Um. Yes, it does. And um, I used to look at these guys, I looked them in the eye, and I just say, how, how do you reconcile being here in a gay bar, flirting with and 
you know, becoming physical to whatever degree I was permitted in, 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 in the actual bar and then go back, you know, 300 feet and, 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 and hold a mass and, or serve mass or as, as it's called. And uh, I, there is some sort of um, mental gymnastics that they do. And I am not interested in trying to decipher or deconstruct what, what they're saying, because ultimately it's, it's just, it's just, winds up to a dead end thinking anyway and which is surprising considering the amount of uh, time people spend uh, doing uh, uh, spiritual um, education and pursuing their their, uh, their what they think is their calling and connection to a higher purpose so um, I don't know how they divorce that or how they can reconcile that I've never been able to understand that but uh, 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 I'll let them to deal with that themselves uh, I have you know as I guess as I always say I said Finish ruining your own life before you start ruining someone else's. So I'm not going to get involved in, in someone else who didn't ask me to help them figure out what I think is their problem. So um, yeah, wait, and I totally agree. And, and what I would like to say for your audience that if they haven't yet reconciled their own spirituality and their own sexuality, is that there is a way to do that. Right? There is a way to do that, and there are ways of, of expressing both of those in a way that are a match for who we are. And, and the same thing too in relationship to our personal power. Like we don't have to give it away. We don't have to suppress it. We don't have to act as if. We don't have to sell out on our power. There are ways of expressing it that are a match for who we are, that don't require us for, for us to abuse it, that don't require for us to push anybody down, step on them, put our knee to their neck in, in, in order for us to prop ourselves up and feel powerful. So... And part of this, and I know this is part and parcel of the entire thing, but um, what is your quest? What must you see through in life? What what do you have to get above above all else? What 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 is the the thing you must do at one point in life above all else? You know, I and I think it's the same for all of us, but it certainly is for me. Like, um, there were, to me, the only thing, I think, you know, I know at least you and I have lived long enough to know, I don't know about your audience and, and you know the makeup of your audience, but I know you and I have lived long enough to know that there isn't any relationship out there that's gonna fulfill us, that there isn't anyone out there that's gonna make us happy. And how unfair to put that responsibility on somebody else. Um, you know, that's so actually it's, it's if we want to have a, a relationship to have a chance of, of working that to me, that's a primary realization like that to realize that only we can make ourselves happy. Then if we meet somebody else that we can share a life with then great. Right. But without that heaviness and that responsibility that the relationship is going to make us happy. What does make us happy then? Uh, for me, um, at least, I think for most of us, but, but I can't speak for all of us, so I speak for myself. It's giving expression to our unique human potential. And I, and I mean full expression. Like there isn't anybody out there that has the same kind of genetics, the same kind of experiences that, that make each one of us unique. So if we don't give expression to that uniqueness, ain't nobody else going to do it. 
And, and I think that's where the fulfillment is. So we can talk about life purpose. Um, and, and, you know, a, a great exemplar for me is, um, I'm blanking on his name uh, right now, the Austrian psychiatrist. Um, whom I reference in every retreat as referencing my book. That's Victor, right. Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl. Frankl. Oh, uh, Victor Frankl. Oh, I love Victor Frankl. Yeah, Victor Frankl, who spent you know years in, in concentration. Man's search for himself. Man's search for meaning. Man's search for meaning. I actually got to hear him speak. Did when, you really? When I was in advanced placement psychology in high school, um, I, and I feel really you know blessed to have had that experience. Oh yeah, sure. Because you know that guy was able to. Like they took everything away from him, like everything, yeah. lost everybody, including his pregnant wife, soulmate kind of relationship. Uh, and so being a psychiatrist, he, he would ponder and question why some people seemed to survive and others didn't. Um, and what he landed on um, was that it had nothing to do with intelligence or education or beauty or physical strength or where you came from, or socioeconomic status, none of that seemed to make a difference in there. And so what he landed on, the people who seemed to survive were the ones who had a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. And, and so hence that book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's my experience too, that, that that's where I land. Like, like, who are we really? All right, so that, that's the, the necessity to really go dive deep inside and to figure out who we are um, and ask the hard questions and then get really clear about what we're doing here. It's funny. The funniest thing about it is that I read that uh, at my Catholic all-boys high school. <laughs> me too. And I wouldn't have been enlightened, but I, but I, I, did, I, did, I did that. And that, that stuck with me for my, my entire life. So... Um, what should everybody know about you? <laughs> um, man, you keep asking me hard questions. And, and already, like, I've revealed, I think, a lot of, of my authentic self um, and, and what drives me. And my, you know, what I value and, and my legacy. Um, I guess, I guess that I'm available for love. Okay. <laughs> so then what is your baseline criteria for satisfaction? Are you talking about in life in general or in the relationship or what? What, what, what if you had, had to set a standard for what is a, is a definition in your internal definition of what satisfaction is? What would be the baseline criteria? Would it be uh, someone, you know, is it, I know it's probably, it's, it's most likely not, but is it, is, is, is it physical? Is, 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 is it something that affects your self-esteem? What, what is, or is it, you know, some financial, uh, you know, it could be anything to a number of people. I asked people what got them up in the morning and some people told me coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about satisfaction in general, not just in relationships. How you define it. Okay. Um, well, I think I've, I've addressed that too. Um, 
I think it's it's sense of purpose, right? To, so the sense of connection, of connectedness, and and to me that means first of all connected to myself, um, which is what makes like a real deep connection with another possible, um, and feeling connect connected to something greater than myself. You know, whether you call that nature or life or love or, or the universe or whatever you call it. Um, when I feel off center, is that means that one of those is, is not in place. Either, either I haven't spent enough quality time with myself, like if I'm on too much, um, if I've been traveling too much and, and I haven't had enough time alone with myself, that's when I tend to go off center. Um, so... Or, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think you said just a few more questions, and I and I think based on that, what what do you say is the biggest boost to your self esteem? Hmm. You know, that that's one of the ways in which I de define and experience personal freedom, is that I, thankfully, because I certainly know the alternative. Uh, I thankfully no, no longer need external validation. Right? So like I know who I am. Um, and, I, and I know my worth. And I know what, what I'm good at. And I know what, where I excel. And I know, you know where, where, I, where I'm challenged. I do know those things. So that and um, when somebody's life is changed because of my work, because they came to one of my retreats, or because even just reading my book, that's what gives me the deepest satisfaction. So your strongest priority? At this point in my life, reaching as many people as possible with, with my message of, of self-acceptance and self-empowerment. Okay. Now, and, and I see that I see this book, by the way, as as a call to action, right? Because I, I it's it's kind of like all hands on deck time, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I think the planet's going to be fine. It might take a few million years, but life will continue in some form. Life will find homeostasis again. Maybe it turns out to be an intelligent and conscious cockroach planet. Who knows? Whether whether we make it, hmm. Right. That's we're just now beginning to witness whatever it is that we have unleashed on the environment of which COVID is a symptom. Right. COVID is a symptom of, of our relationship to nature. Um, and so they say, you know, a number of, of well-informed uh, intelligentsia say it is a symptom of, of, of a greater malaise. Yeah. Just, just seeing it right now. Yes. And even the environment, it's, it's, you could say it's a symptom of the environment, the way we're treating the environment. Yes. Um, and, and so if we focus it in, from that perspective, COVID is, can be of huge service. It can be a huge wake-up call. Um, and, and the mandatory global timeout, if we hold it in the right way, is like, what a service. What a service just to, to have a pause in which we can all go in and, and ask the hard questions that you've been asking me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going I'm I'm to end it with the two relative softballs. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Tell me about your relationship with the animal kingdom. Mm. I'm not a, a. I don't have a pet. I mean, because I 
well, well, up until a year ago, I, I was spent too much time on a plane. I do have a really profound relationship with a peacock. Um, where, where I live in Miami, um, there's a flock of wild peacocks, and probably, I don't know, 40, 50 of them. Um, and there's one that comes, you know, kind of has taken, you know, has, has kind of claimed my, my, my land, or when I rent, not my land, but where I live, as its territory. Um, and I used to think, oh, my God, I've got him tamed. Like, he eats out of my hands. Now I've got three of them who eat out, out of my hands. But this one in particular... Like, so I used to think that until I realized that other than me being on a phone call or being in the middle of a retreat or something, like he'll, I can hear him call or he'll come peck on the window and I drop everything. I drop whatever I'm doing and I go feed him. So who's got who trained? Yes. <laughs> um, I uh, actually was um, very friendly with an elephant at the Bronx Zoo who's a very celebrated elephant that trying to give it uh, uh, her a uh, 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 change of environment and um, I used to go to the I used to, I went to Fordham University for several years and I used to go to the Bronx Zoo all the time I was just a few blocks away just in the southeast corner of where Fordham is located is next to Fordham is Bronx Botanical Gardens just just the other side of the road is the Bronx Zoo and the rest of it is the uh, uh, the little Italy of the Bronx and I lived there when I was going to school go to the zoo and I would see an elephant every single day and I used to uh, feed her potato chips and all the other people would come by and they'd ooh and ah and the elephant would she should come right over to me and she'd let me pet her trunk which I don't know if you know elephant hairs are like wires and they have 40,000 muscles in their trunks and they're very sensitive and it's 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 a phenomenal thing and the elephant will look you in the eye and you look in that elephant eye and uh, you know there's something behind there and uh, of course uh, I left school and I hadn't come back and I think they hadn't come back for about seven years to visit and, and, and I did, never realized that you know you have a relationship with this animal and you, you should you know keep up so I went back and I went there one day with somebody and we walk up to the elephants and there's a bunch of people and what do you know she just stops what she's doing she sees me comes right over to me gives me the big nod and the smile and I give her and she lets me pet her and everyone thinks I'm an animal trainer because just because I had known her so if, she she had me trained, but also uh, uh, it, it's it's something else when you do connect with an animal you don't expect to, especially something that's not domestic. Because I'm a, I'm an, I'm a cat lover and I I love dogs and cats and all that stuff, but uh, not knowing that you could actually have some sort of it's almost like a communal experience, yeah. Because you 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 you've you've done you've you've connected on a level that's not intellectual and it's it's, it's physical in, in the sense that you're making physical contact, but there's something else there. And I think that's something else. I love that. You gave me chills with that story. Oh, and, and, and I just, it's just, it was, it was just one of those things that I very fondly remember. I remember telling the story because uh, people say that this largely been discredited and the idea that elephants don't uh, always remember. I said, well, I, I don't know about you, but this elephant didn't forget me. And, uh, uh, I, and she was uh, very, very sweet and loving. And uh, uh, I, I just remembered looking into her and knowing there, there's, there's something there, you know, it's not just, a, just an animal that's, she's, she knows, she knows something. Uh, and um, that was, uh, that changed my perception about my relationship to, to the animal kingdom and to people, because, the, you know, it, it, it's your sense of humanity and how humane you are 
def- helps define your, you know, how you treat other people. I think anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I love that story. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, now, I think maybe I just give you one <laughs> last question because I, I, I love putting this out. What is your favorite weather? My favorite weather. You know, this time of year in Miami is not bad at all. Where you're in the middle to high 70s, um, it's just beautiful. And, and blue skies almost every day, everything lush and green. Um, I lived in California, too, in Northern California for 20 years, and I, and I like that weather, too. I love that, the fact that it cools off at night and hot tubs make a lot more sense over there than they do here. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I like the snow, but to visit. I don't want to. I don't want to live in a cold climate. <laughs> okay. I'm from the tropics. <laughs> what can I say? All right. Well, the, that's uh, the end. I think uh, I'll, I'll do a count backwards, but I'm sure, pretty sure that covers a lot of ground because we, we meshed a lot of questions in together. Anyway, so that's the end of our 20 questions. And Christian, I thank you so very much for being a guest. And uh, I'm going to end as I always end, saying thank you again, and uh, see you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. Thank you.